Thank you. Let's stand open our Bibles to Mark chapter 7. We'll read verses 1 all the way down to verse 9. Mark chapter 7. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with the file, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft. They eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be, which they have received a hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. And then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? And he answered and said to them, Well, hath Isaiah the prophet prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How bait in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. He said to them, Full well, ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. You have to see the irony of this passage is the Pharisees and scribes are sent down from Jerusalem some 70 plus miles to examine and approve the ministry or disapprove the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We already know their thoughts. They had already disapproved before they arrived. They had already rejected and would continue to reject the Messiah, ultimately culminating in their participation in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But can you imagine as this snooty bunch, as almost the feds descend upon <laughs> this meeting, here they come, the Lord, we're talking about God in the flesh, is teaching and preaching and performing miracles. And the catch here is the disciples are going to eat with unwashed hands. Now, this has to be the crime of the century. This has got to stop. This man and his ministry must cease because his disciples have gone to the market. And when they came back, there, there was not just a washing, a cleansing of the hands, but this is a ceremonial cleansing. And if you study the way they had to wash their hands. Now, we're not talking about the law, but tradition held by the elders adding to the law. And... When they see what takes place, they literally, why are you watching someone else wash their hands and how they wash their hands? Did you have a mental disorder or what exactly is taking place here? But that's exactly what they're going to do. And they not only watch it, observe it, criticize it, but they're going to bring it to his attention. You've got a problem there with your people. Because they're defiled and they're defiling everything because they came from the market and they ate that fruit in that cheese and uh, they took just a moment to wash their hands instead of ceremonially cleansing themselves. And here's what Christ is going to do. Now, be very careful because people distort the facts in the Word of God as if God was throwing away His own Word. No, that's not the case at all. He's going to address the pharisaical spirit of the disciples and say this is an issue of the heart, this is a matter of the heart, and that's what's going to be highlighted in, in repeatedly in these verses, and we'll see that. I want to mention four things here that we see in the Scripture that are a matter of the heart. Number one, true salvation is a heart matter. These men weren't saved. What do you expect from a crowd that's not saved? 
and be careful because when you talk to people who are religious and not saved, the issue is always going to be a ritual. It's not going to be a matter of the heart. I can't imagine going to church and not having Jesus in my heart. It's all about performance. For a young person that grows up in this kind of environment and doesn't get saved, you're going to see the most miserable people. Now, if you even took five seconds this morning when you walk in, we got smiling people, happy people. I thank God for all of that. But you always have a crowd in any church that are unhappy, not smiling, easy to pick out. They think they can fit in. It doesn't work that way. If you're going through the rituals and you're not saved, this experience right here is only misery. I enjoy church. It's never long enough. I only shorten it to, to pacify the carnal. <laughs> Say, preacher, you should not pacify the carnal. You should honor and glorify God. I may not have a service at all if I didn't pacify the carnal. <laughs> that was not right. But the misery. How many of you remember before trusting Christ your Savior, the misery in trying to perform spiritual duties and going through the spiritual rituals. And if, if you have someone in your immediate family, maybe a spouse, husband, wife, child, aunt, uncle, husband, father, if, if for them going to church is misery, you need to just talk about one subject, your salvation, their salvation. Because that's what it boils down to. You have to have a new heart. You can, it, it's not about the dress. It's not about uh, the hairstyle. It's not, it's about the heart and the issues, the heart. And these people came to church. You want to talk about people that were performing. These people were tithing mint and cumin. How many of you do that? You go through your spices and make sure 10% is put in the offering plate. Thank God we've never received any spices in the offering plate up to this point. I'm talking about to the letter of the law, not understanding the spirit of the law. And these are miserable people. And anybody that comes to church and tries to perform a spiritual exercise and they're not born again, it is absolute misery. I can tell you right now, there is no spiritual, uh, spiritual command in this book that is miserable for me. That doesn't make me super holy. It just makes me saved. It just means the Holy Spirit of God moved inside, lives inside. Keep your finger here. Go with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. Salvation is all about the heart. And here's what people don't like to hear. They don't want to hear that they have a heart problem. Years ago, we were living in Argentina. Kim was six months pregnant. We go in. They did an ultrasound. The doctor comes out, told us to sit down. And it gave us some of the worst news we'd ever received in our lives. They said, your daughter will soon be born, and when she does, we're going to have to go uh, immediately into a surgery because she has a heart problem. You know what happens when you witness? You know why people reject the word or respond the way they do? Because you're looking at them and telling them, you were born with a heart problem. And you need a spiritual procedure done. And the only way you're going to live forever in heaven is if you have this spiritual procedure done called salvation. Your heart is so messed up. It means only death and hell, the lake of fire, for all eternity. And people don't want to hear that about their heart. 
They want to hear that they have a good heart and everything's going to be fine and God's going to overlook your faults. And when that surgeon of surgeons says, you're so messed up, there's no way out without this procedure. Death is a guarantee. Hell is a guarantee. Not because God didn't love you. It's because he does love you enough to let you know of your heart condition. And that's what he's going to do with these Pharisees. He's going to repeatedly, during his ministry, address their heart condition. Well, pastor, what's wrong with me? What do you have? What's your problem with me? I don't have any problem with you. I'm just telling you, you've got a heart condition. All of us do. You're not the only one. We're not picking someone out. We're not pointing someone out. We're not highlighting your problem. We're highlighting man's problem. Look what it says in verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt what? Believe how? In thine heart. Salvation is a matter of believing in your heart. Feeling conviction in your heart. Repentance in the heart. Change in the heart. Thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made in salvation. Now here's the problem. These Pharisees grown up with all the rituals. They knew every last, not just the letter of the law, not just 613 or 617 commands, but they had added to those commands all of the tradition of the elders. Can you imagine that kind of life? Can you imagine the pain and the headache? I like clean hands, but when you figure out the way they had to do it, at some point, especially being in a mission field, you'd find yourself in trouble or never eating. Now, here's what happened. Look at verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He's going to address the real problem, the root problem. He said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But he's saying these religious people are not saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but it's not according to knowledge. They're going through the motions. They're obeying the rituals. They're showing up for church. They're outwardly looking to obey all of God's word, verse 3. But they being ignorant of God's righteousness, here's the problem. They're going about to establish what? You know what religion does to man? It tells them you go establish your own righteousness. The problem is you don't have any because you have a bad heart. You have an evil heart, and every time you try, you know what happens. Well, Pastor, I didn't do that. You thought it. Going about to establish your own righteousness, they have not what? Submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth in the heart. Salvation has never been a matter of keeping religious rituals. It's about in the heart, putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, crying out to, for mercy. And that's why the Bible says, Matthew 7, 21, many will say to me that day, what? Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? No one here has prophesied. And in thy name cast out devils? No one here has ever cast out a devil. And in thy name done many wonderful works? And I know you. No, you've not done many wonderful works. But all the same, what did Christ tell them? Or what will he tell them? Depart from me. I never knew you. Because that religious endeavor, that religious performance is not going to change the heart or bring salvation. 
the heart is cleansed by Christ and Christ alone, not by any work, not by baptism, not by church membership. Uh, matter of fact, religion is totally contrary to biblical salvation because religion says do, perform, complete. If you do this, there'll be an exchange that takes place at the end of your life where for your good works, God will exchange it with your entry into heaven. What blasphemy. That's the life that these people were living. Now go back with me to Mark chapter 7, because here's what the Bible says. You, you are either focused on your own merit or his mercy and true salvation of the heart. Starts with the heart, otherwise your religion is a vain exercise. That's what it says. Look what it says in verse 7. How vain in what? You know how many people are sitting in church this morning in vain? You know how many people be baptized this morning in vain? You know how many people will hold a rosary? They'll take those beads, they'll pray those prayers, and it'll all be, it is a big waste of time. A waste of gas, a waste of spiritual energy because they are doing this outside of salvation, trying to earn their salvation. And look what it says in verse 9. He said to them, full well ye reject the commandments of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. It's a rejection of God's word in favor of tradition that man established. And here's what religion does. It establishes tradition, and then it equates it to the word of God. And at some point, it elevates it above the word of God. This is why when you witness to someone, uh, it doesn't matter if they're Catholic or Mormon, Jehovah Witness or Muslim, and uh, you take a Bible, God's word, and try to show them out of God's word what God says about salvation. They'll say, well, no, not really, because my church says... Elevating what their church says above what the Word of God says. Well, I know what the Bible says. I remember years ago talking to some Jehovah Witnesses, and I said, every verse that you take and twist out of context, I'll give you 10 in context to prove you're wrong. And after about 30 minutes, they got angry, and I said, you don't like God's Word, do you? They said, no, we just don't like you. <laughs> I said, get in line. I don't like me. But that doesn't change God's Word. And man will take his tradition, and that's why millions have gone to hell, religious, but holding to tradition over the word of God. And because my church says, if I got baptized as a baby, I'm fine. And my church says, if I've gone through the catechism classes, and I've, I, I wear the holy underwear, and I, I got married in this church, and they're a religion with that kind of craziness, on that kind of level, thinking. I can't imagine churches sitting around, coming up with craziness. Making people hop on one leg for the rest of their life in order to gain entrance into heaven. When we went to Abu Dhabi uh, this year, I had a layover on our way to Malawi. Uh, we were in the bathrooms. I walked in, and when you sit on a plane that long, you're hoping for a clean bathroom. You walk in, and here are all these Muslims with their feet in the sink. Sorry, I can't do it. Can't use that bathroom when every time you go in, you have half a dozen people washing their feet in the sink. First of all, it makes me angry that I can't stretch on that level. <laughs> You'd have to break my leg in three places to get my foot in a sink. <laughs> but there is no spiritual cleansing that comes from that. You're just physically defiling. 
And here's what religion is so crazy. It invents rituals to make people feel good about themselves, but gets them no closer to heaven. You better figure out what the Bible says and believe that. And the Bible says you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you cry out to God, you repent of your sins, and guess what's going to happen? You have eternal life without any ritual of any religion, and they had none of that. Let me say number two, not just salvation is a matter of heart, but true godliness is a heart matter. Look what it says in verse six. He answered and said to them, well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you. Huh. You want to talk about unfiltered and bold. I've never stood in the pulpit and looked out at the crowd and said, you hypocrites. But Christ did it repeatedly in his ministry. He calls them what they are, hypocrites. As it is written, this people honoreth me, here's hypocrisy, honoring Christ with their lips, but their heart is what? He's addressing the heart. He said, listen, true holiness, true godliness is not about what you say. It's not singing, oh, how I love Jesus. It's not showing up for church and shaking a hand and saying, look at me. I'm a Christian. I show up twice a week. Bless my heart. No, no, no. This is about something inside of the heart of man that says, I want to please God and I want him to be honored and I want him to be glorified. And the only reason I'm doing all of this is to make sure that he's the focus of my life and I will praise him with my lips, but I want to make sure that's coming from a heart that is inclined to him, that is bent towards him, that is seeking his honor and his glory. And church, you better make sure in the rearing of your children that this is not about rules and rituals because there are plenty of rules in life. And I don't care if you work at McDonald's, you go to public school or Christian school, no matter where you go, there are rules and regulations. You need to make sure that outside of an environment where there are any rules, there is God in their life, there is Jesus in their heart. So even when they're in their own home and they get to determine the rules, Christ reigns supreme because they have a new heart, a changed heart. And he said, your problem is you think that godliness is a matter of rituals where you just speak it. He said, oh no, oh no. Your lips may speak it, but your heart is what? Far from me. Go to Mark chapter 12. What is true godliness? And young people, let me say this. He's not saying that appearance is not important. Appearance is important because Godliness starts on the inside and it seeps out your pores. It happens on the outside. By their what? Fruit. Everything is identified by its appearance. No man here can see the heart. And here's what Matthew said. You, you will know them. I don't want to walk around and judge people, but here's what the Bible says. You will know them. How many like this beautiful piano? How many like it? Judge, judging spirit you guys have. How do you know that's a piano? That's a lazy cow that sat on our platform. You judge everything by appearance. You judge absolutely everything by appearance. And young people... This world ought to be able to judge you. They ought to be able to identify you. They ought to know immediately there's a Christian. There's a kind Christian. There's a gracious Christian. There's a humble Christian. There's a loving Christian. Yes. 
They shouldn't wonder for two seconds whether or not you are a Christian. They should, you shouldn't have to carry around a Bible to be known as a Bible believer. They ought to hear you speak. They ought to see your spirit. They ought to watch your home and observe your marriage and see your children and say, okay, that guy's different. He's one of those fanatics. He's a Bible believer. Without you saying a word, without you opening the word of God, they ought to know by your appearance. So this is not minimizing the appearance. It's maximizing the root issue, which is the heart. Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God's one Lord. Thou shalt what? Love the Lord thy God. How? With all that. This is a heart matter. This is a heart issue. Religion uh, is not about loving God. Godliness is about loving God with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the mind, and with all thy strength. How many of you have obeyed the first and primary commandment? What about Sunday morning? What about one hour in church did you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind for 65 minutes? Hard to do, isn't it? That is true godliness. Holiness is your heart being drawn to God. Now, here's the problem. Go back with me to Mark 7. The problem is our heart by nature is evil. How many of you ever come home and find a wasp nest? I use the office out at the ranch. Normally on Saturdays this past week. I hadn't been out there for a week. I come up. Trying to get in that door, and there are six wasps flying around. Now, you can have a beautiful environment, beautiful desk, beautiful chairs, AC in the room, but a hornet's nest. You, you know what we do? We try to clean everything up, but we forget there's a hornet's nest called our heart. Evil is very core. Look what it says, uh, verse 21. For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed what? Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts. Now, the majority in here, this is, this is as bad as it gets. Adultery, fornication, murder, theft, uh, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy. Most here have not committed those sins as we see them except for in their mind, because it's in your heart. Oh, you grew up in a Christian home. You've been taught those things are evil. And although you have not committed those sins as the world sees them, they have crossed your mind because they are located where? In your heart. And here's what Christ is going to tell them. Oh, you can make all the appearance of being good and righteous and fine, but inside, verse 23, all these evil things come from what? Within. It's a matter of existing in the heart. It's all despicable. That's why we need to cry out to God, Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Here's why David repeatedly talks about inclining. I like what Joshua said is he tells God's people, you need to incline your heart to Jehovah. 
You know why? Because our hearts by birth are naturally inclined. We lean the opposite direction. We lean towards evil. And God says you need to lean towards the word of God. And David says this repeatedly in Psalms 119. We find David in spiritual trouble occasionally. You know why? In all of us exists a heart with that list of, that despicable list of sin. That's the heart of the issue. That's the heart of the matter. And it's not your environment. And here's what this world will tell you. Blame whatever you do on your environment, your circumstances, your influences, and your friendships. And parents, the worst thing you can do for that child is listen to his lie and blame their behavior on something else or someone else because you could be in the Garden of Eden and fall flat on your face in sin because within your heart exists the inclination the inclining, the wrong direction. And you got to say, this is why the Word of God has got to be so prevalent in my life, because the more I meditate and the more I memorize and the more I read and the more I learn, I'm leaning at least, knowing what's there, I want to lean the right direction. I want to keep a clean heart. This is a matter of godliness. This is a matter of the heart. Now, look what it says. Go with me verse 17 and 18. Here's the problem back in Mark chapter 7. You think we'd understand this. You think we'd get the teaching. But his disciples are here, verse 17. And when he's entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. Christ was so patient. This was not a parable, you fools. <laughs> Explain to us the parable. This is not a parable. He said, the heart is evil. The heart is defiled. You've taken tradition. You've elevated it above the word of God because in our hearts, there's a serious problem. This is what he says, verse 18. And he said unto them, are you so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entered to man, it cannot defile? He said, listen, it's not eating. I've, I've been to Mexico. I lived there for nine years, the land of foodborne illnesses. I have been sick so many times you can't count them. It's not the food that defiles a man. It's the heart that defiles the man. This is why he said in verse 14, when he had called all the people to him, he said to them, hearken unto me. Can, can a speaker, as a pastor, as a preacher, at school, church, scores of times that I preach weekly in the times that I meet with people, you just want to shake them and say, hearken unto the word of God. Hearken! Every one of you. And what? Don't just listen. Understand, but these are the disciples that are hearing it constantly. Not from the mouth of the average preacher, who's not always spirit-filled, but from the very mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're not getting it. Young people, you got to get this. No matter what environment you're in, in the Christian school, in the Bible college, in the suits and the ties, and a mom and dad that preached to you 24-7, there's a serious problem with you. Your heart. Your heart. You're, we could lock you in the auditorium for 24 hours and say, do right and give you a Bible and guess what's, what's going to happen. You can't do right. Because your heart will defile your mind when all you have is yourself and the Bible. It's a heart issue. And that's what he's trying to tell these Pharisees. 
Your salvation, that's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of religious rituals. He said godliness and holiness and pleasing the Father is a matter of the heart. It's not following through with the commands of your local church. We're supposed to keep our heart with all diligence. And church, let me just say this. Because most of we've been talking about salvation. But let's, let's talk to the average church member. You better be careful that you don't disregard Bible commands because of your own opinions and traditions, because this is, this is the biggest excuse for the poorest behavior among God's people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't go to God's word. We point to someone else. Well, my church doesn't preach against that. What does God think? Yeah. Well, pastor, on Thursday nights we watch reality TV. What's the big deal with that? Nudity, blasphemy, homosexuality, adultery. That's what's wrong with that. Have you ever read your Bible? Well, I know some good Christians that watch that. No, good Christians don't watch that slime. Good Christians don't watch that filth. Because God's word teaches against that slime and filth. Well, I know a good preacher and his wife doesn't dress like that. So that woman now is your teacher above the word of God? Well, I know good people in our church and they don't so win. So you're telling me that the Great Commission doesn't apply to you because another Christian in your church doesn't so win. Are you with me? We've made the commandments of God of none effect because instead of saying, what does God's word say? We say, what does that person do? And if I admire them and they don't obey the word of God, then I don't have to obey the word of God. We are just as bad as the Pharisees and the scribes because normally we allow our tradition. Well, that's the way our family did it. That's the way our family does it. You want to talk about getting a Christian upset, you talk about their tradition. Well, this is the way we do our nursery. We sign them in, we sit them down, we put them on the rocker, and you didn't sign in. <laughs> you spent 32 days in purgatory for that one. Well, we've always had clubs on Wednesday nights, and any church that doesn't have clubs on Wednesday nights, they're not even a local church. We have taken our tradition. If it's my tradition, and this is the way I've done it, don't disturb my tradition. And we are so tradit. I like tradition. We are. And the older, you, how many realize? The older you get, the more sunk you get deeply into some kind of tradition. When we go on family vacation, it is so ritualistic. It's ridiculous. We drive to the same place. We eat at the same restaurant. We go to Colorado Springs. We go buy the grocery. We show up at this time. They sleep in. I go fish. I come back. We drink a cup. It is ridiculous. And if you break one of those traditions, it's not vacation. We didn't eat at P.F. Chang's on the way out. We didn't even have vacation. That's called tradition. We're all stuck in it. The problem is not tradition. The problem is when you take a tradition and elevate it to the same importance as the word of God, now you've got a problem. And that's exactly what they were doing. Look what it says. Go back to chapter 7, verse 5 and 6. True service for God is a matter of the heart. 
Now, young people, let me say this. Just because you come to church and you help clean, you go soul winning, and you fulfill your duties, that doesn't mean it's true service for God. True service for God comes from the heart. How many of you parents ever told your children to do something? Hey, you have two children, and one says, yes, Mom, I'd love to do that. And they go out whistling, smiling, and the other one says, I'll do it. Which one was true service? Which one pained you, and which one put a smile on your face? When they're smacking glasses around and crack one of them, throwing silkware in the drawer, and you say, they got a problem. The parents are the problem. No. <laughs> Both. Parent and heart. That's a hard issue. And here's what they were doing. They're going through all the motions. And verse, look what it says, verse 5 and 6. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why, why walk not thy disciples? Your, your, your disciples don't even serve you because they didn't wash their hands after they went to the market. They got all kinds of slime on that cheese. Surprise, Christ didn't say, talk about cheese, you're the cheese. Talking about slimy cheese, you're the slimy cheese. Because what you guys are doing is not true service. There's nothing here in your service that on, you just walked, you came 70 miles to pick on God in the flesh. And you think this is a spiritual endeavor. You're beating your chest, you're going to go back and say, we got to solve this problem because this is a spiritual problem. His disciples aren't even washing their hands. Do you get this? You know how much service for God is not even service for God because the heart involved and the spirit involved. And this is all about me and me, my agenda. And God better be pleased with this. Young people, if you want God pleased with this, you better come with a heart of humility and say, is God glorified with this? Is God glorified in my spirit? Are, am I even sanctified enough for God to be honored in what I'm doing? I wonder... This, this isn't to disappoint you or discourage you. I wonder how much of our service is spiritual at all. If we haven't even taken enough time to pour on our, uh, our, our hearts to God and put, put ourselves on our faces and cry out for his blessing and make sure we're doing it spirit-filled, do you think there's any chance at all that he's glorified? If this is about my ritual and my ministry and my service and people patting me on the back and uh, look at me and, and give me a compliment. And I wish a few people around here would recognize the sacrifice that I am making. Yeah, It's pretty spiritual. Shouldn't this be about pleasing God and getting him to smile and worried about pleasing him instead of pleasing some kind of man? It comes from the heart. Look what it says in verse 9. Here's how you know that your service is not about God. He said to them, For well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Now, people, here's what we got to say. We got to check every day of our spiritual lives and say, Am I rejecting the word of God to hang on to my own pre-established tradition, even if it seems spiritual on the surface? Now, look what he says. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. Whoso cursed the father or mother, let him die the death. So he said, this is, this is God's command. You honor your mother and father. And we think these are, there's a time factor in here. So this is up until I'm 18. No, none of the Ten Commandments have a time factor on them. 
But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, it's a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free, and you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God, look what it says, none effect through your tradition. Here's what he said. He said that God's word said you're supposed to honor your mother and father. But some of you have gotten to the stage of life where your mother and father are needy, but you're greedy. You have the money to take care of them, but you go down with a spiritual face and you cry out Corbin, which is to say, I'm taking all of my wealth and I'm dedicating it to God in the tabernacle. I still get to use it, but it's all God's. You know why you're saying Corbin, it's all God's? Because you don't want them to get their hands on it. And you don't want to have to spend money on them. And you don't want to have to sacrifice for them. So you come up and try to make yourself look spiritual in front of the people and say, Corbin, my car is for God, not for you, Dad. My house is for God, not for you, Dad. My other money, my bank is for you, oh Lord. Thankfully, Dad, you can't put your hands on it. He said, you're using a spiritual endeavor for a fleshly desire. He said, you've taken the very commands of God and made them of none effect. Did you get it, people? And here's what happens, young people. A lot of our so-called service for God is just to make people think there's something spiritual. How hard do we try to convince others of our own spirituality? Your spirituality is what you're doing on Friday night, Monday night, and Thursday morning and Friday afternoon is not what you're doing Sunday morning in the church service because you do a pretty good job of parking your carcass right in your pew. Double meaning. Your service means you love helping others. If you truly are in love with God, what's the first commandment? You'll love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and might. And then you'll what? As a result, love your neighbor as yourself. And if someone is truly in love with God, they're in love with people. Now you tell me, what were these scribes and Pharisees doing? They were behind Christ, and every time he, they're just waiting for him to heal on the Sabbath. You can't do that. That man should not be rising up. He's been laying all his life in that condition. You should not have given him a better life. It's the Sabbath. Yeah. When, when we are so stuck in ourselves that we're ignoring people and we're not loving people and we're not seeking to help people, this isn't about God at all. This is about you. This isn't about his glory. This is about your honor and your glory. Right. You know the heart of the matter? Your heart. Yes. Because when you truly love God, you, here's how you can tell others love God, by their level of love for people. And when you see someone that says they love God and they hurt people with their mouth, they hurt people with their actions, there's no love of God in that at all. There is no... Young people, I'm telling you something right now. You want to identify a fake, someone that says they love God and they hurt people. Someone says they love God and they speak evil of people. Someone says they love God and they attack and fuss and demean and gossip. You say, that's my mom. Pray for her that she falls in love with Jesus. You say, that's my uncle. That's my dad. That's my brother. Pray for them because there's no love of God in the heart that leads you to hurt someone else. That's a contradiction of God's word. And if you say, oh, that person, they really love Jesus. I'll tell you right now, when they're hurting someone else, they really don't love Jesus. 
and you know it. That's called plastic Christianity. That's called fake to the core. I'm actually, I just felt some conviction in the house. I think we could hold an invitation and watch people stay in their pew so no one else knew about their pew. Amen? Now, you know what they're fussing about? They're, they don't have clean hands. When you serve Christ, you're going to work with some people that are messed up and dirty, and that means your hands are going to get dirty. And if you see someone whose hands are totally clean all the time, they're not involved in ministry and they don't love Jesus Christ because loving Christ means working with people that have dirty lives and you're trying to help them out. Thank you, preacher. Last, go back to Mark chapter 7, verse 7. Not just salvation or holiness or service. Our worship is a matter of the heart. Look what it says, verse 7. How about in vain do they... Worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You know how many people are worshiping God today in vain? You can tell people's worship is in vain. You know, church, let, let me just be honest with you. Sunday morning, I want to preach the gospel. I want everyone, every spiritual kind, come through these doors, get some help. But if you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and your countenance isn't right, your worship is vain. And your spirit's not right. If you come into this place that is a singing church and you can't sing, most churches that I visit, when I sing, I feel like I'm a lonely man on a lonely island and I don't want anybody else to hear how lousy my voice is. But in this church, I can sit over there and scream. On a Sunday night, I can scream and not hear myself, and my neighbor doesn't hear me. Yes, sir. If you can't sing out, praise the Lord, put a smile on your face, enjoy God's house, you've got a spiritual problem. Your worship is in vain. I'm not talking about the Catholics today. I'm not talking about the Muslims today. I'm not talking about the Mormons today. I'm talking about Baptists today who come to church and waste the gas who come to church and waste the time, who come to church, you're better off, hold on for a second. You say, preacher, you should not say this. You should not preach it. You're better off somewhere else because all that is doing in vain worship is hardening the heart. Your anger towards God and God's people is only growing when you worship in vain. You're only lifting yourself up in self-righteousness saying, I'm the only one right. You're going to end up just like this boatload of Pharisees. So far off the cliff, they're screaming in the halls of hell today, 2,000 years later, and they perform their Sabbath duties their entire lives, but rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. That's called vain worship. Now look what it says in Matthew 9, and we're finished. Matthew 9, verse 4. There's no one else in here that knows your heart. We can have an idea based on what we see, not Sunday morning. Oh, it's some are easier, some act like they have a great time in church no matter what. Lousy message, lousy music, and they're still having a good time. And you get others... Best day ever, best visiting preacher ever, 
best music ever, and they had a lousy Sunday no matter what. So some people just reveal themselves as unsaved or saved. But at the end of the day, guess what? Young people, if you grew up in this church, you already know what's required, and you have been perfected in performance. You know when to smile, how to dress, what to do. Pastor Robert cannot see your heart. Pastor Bob can't see your heart. I can't see your heart, but God can. Look what it says, Matthew 9, 4. Jesus knowing their thoughts. Can you imagine if you had someone present? Can you imagine if your pastor had the ability to read your thoughts? You know what your thoughts would tell me? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here it comes again. Oh, boy. Think right. Think right. Oh, boy. Be pleasant. Oh, oh, boy. But Christ is reading their thoughts. Look what it said. Wherefore think ye evil in your, he knew their heart. And let me ask you this this morning. So no one else in here does, but God knows your heart. He knows your heart. Pastor, I'm just disaster. But he knows your heart's right. He knows you love him and want to serve him. And you're listening to the Holy Spirit being conformed into his image. And there are others just playing a game. God knows that too. God knows I'll perform when I have to perform, but when I don't have to perform, it's going to be all me and my flesh. And if you're saved, unsaved, God knows your heart. And young person, if you're sincere, God knows your heart. And here's what you ought to do today. The heart of the matter is your heart. You ought to say, okay, I want to make sure I start with the inside. And I clean my heart. I cleanse my heart. I incline my heart. I guard my heart. You're supposed to keep your heart with what? All diligence. All diligence. For out of it are the issues of life.